everyone. Welcome to episode 146 of Manage the Wild. I'm Nick Madsen. We recently had talked about um, parturition, and it's the event of giving birth that these mule deer does, as well as the elk, they're starting to enter in at the end of May, 1st of June. You're starting to see videos and pictures of people coming across them. And just a, a real quick thing before I continue on is if you come across a fawn or a calf, leave it be. It doesn't matter the situation. Just leave it be. If it's laying to the side of the road, but it's out of the roadway, just leave it be. Because the more they get handled, the more likely the mother is going to bail and just leave that animal alone because they recognize them by scent and if there's not enough scent on them because you've been manhandling them then they're just going to abandon them so just leave them be and uh, there's i've talked to multiple people i've responded to multiple calls when i worked in wildlife and they said i just wanted to help the fawn out it looks so cute and they've got it in the back of their truck and ultimately what happens to these animals that you bring in or 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 move off to the side or whatever is they ultimately die if you're bringing them into a wildlife official because you're concerned about it because you think it's been abandoned one of their strategies is for these fawns is to just lay down while the mother is off feeding they don't have that ability to run away yet they don't have the strength and so until they can develop that the, their strategy is to just lay there so if you pick them up and bring them into a wildlife office, they're gonna euthanize it. They don't have the ability to protect and to care for all these fawns that are bringing in. So if the state has 400,000 mule deer and, oh, let's just go an easy number. 50% of those are um, does that are giving birth and they're giving birth to twins. You're talking about 200,000 does giving birth to 400,000 fawns. They don't have the facilities to come in and to take care of these fawns or these elk calves. So just leave them be because they're going to euthanize them. And ultimately, if you leave the area, the mother's going to come back. I've come across multiple cow elk and calves. And if you move off uh, quite a bit of distance, a couple hundred yards away, and you're not making a much of noise, you'll, you can watch these cow elk come back into an area to feed their calf, and then they move off. And mule deer are the exact same. Okay, let's talk about nutrition. Nutrition plays a huge role into the production of fawns and calves. And each ungulate out there takes a little bit different strategy on how they go about it. So mule deer are less affected by nutrients and whether they're going to get pregnant or not. Studies have shown that over 90% of the mule deer does that were tested were pregnant. Whether it didn't matter what, whether the nutrients was great or low, whether they were having a bad uh, year, no moisture, too dry, it didn't really matter all 90% of them tested for being pregnant. Elk and moose, on the other hand, they don't do the same strategy. 
And I'm just, this is me thinking out loud, but I'm wondering if it's because they just live a little bit longer. It's not unheard of for elk to reach 18 years, a cow elk to reach over 18 years old. And if they're getting pregnant every year, I'm sure they can forego a year if they're not doing well. Whether they've gotten a parasite or a virus or the nutrients is bad, elk and moose can forego a year or will and maybe not get pregnant. Where mule deer, on the other hand, they have to get pregnant. And I think the one thing is they're just, they're preyed upon a little more. Their survivability from year to year is going to be a little bit less. And they're just facing overall more challenges. And so these are the strategies that they've picked. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to give birth to healthy fawns. They may give birth to stillborn or their body may reabsorb the fetus before they even give birth, but they're going to get pregnant, 90% of them. Generally speaking, they can get pregnant at that two-year mark. But it's not unheard of for them to be reproducing it's not impossible, but there are studies to show that they can get they can get pregnant in that first year. Now, they have to have high amounts of nutrients in the area. And there's very few places where they can get that much nutrients unless they're like a resident and they're feeding in an area that just has unnormal amounts of protein. But generally speaking, it's that year and a half mark. But that's not so in whitetail. Whitetail are promiscuous, especially in the Midwest. What's interesting is a study that I came across. Let me pull it up. A study that I came across uh, titled The Evaluation of Techniques for Categorizing Group Membership of Whitetail Deer. And in this, they talk about how a study that was performed in the Midwest 65 to 70% of all whitetail yearlings were pregnant. What in the world? They're as promiscuous as jackrabbits. They're starting to get pregnant at six months. But what they found is these areas that they're getting really high pregnancy rates in yearlings is the fact that they're just there's a lot more nutrients available, whether they're feeding in the fields or they're coming across uh, plots or whatever that, but there just is a lot of nutrients available to them. And so mule deer have a different strategy than whitetail because they're just living in a different area. Oftentimes they're not coming across those protein rich areas. There's not a lot of nutrients. They're having to work for it. There's a lot more predators as well. If you think about the predators that mule deer face here in the West versus whitetail in the Midwest, we've largely reduced a lot of those predators. The only ones really left are coyotes and foxes. But here in the West, you've got the coyotes, the foxes, the mountain lions, the wolves, black bears, grizzly bears. And so these are all challenging situations. Now, one of the largest predators that they're facing, that we're facing here, is cars. I mean, you've got to consider it a predator, but those natural predators, mule deer, tend to face a lot more predators than whitetail would in the Midwest. This is part of my thinking. 
The other thing that's going on is mule deer have to be more vigilant because of all these predators that they're facing. There's, they're constantly looking up, looking around, going back to eating, then looking back up. And all this becomes very taxing on the animal. If you think about the number of times they are looking around and then they look back down and then they look back up, that's taking away from the time that they're able to consume. Think about a person who is in a hot dog eating contest and the amount of times that they look up to take a picture with a, a friend or a selfie or whatever to show that they're in a competition is more time that they're taking away from consuming of hot dogs. Mule deer are the same. And so the more vigilant they have to be depending on the area that they're in and the less quality forage that is available to them is also going to play a factor because if they have to be highly vigilant and they're in areas with low quality forage their overall mass that they're able to put on and, and the amount of nutrients they're able to take in is creating more and more problems so when uh, i've talked uh, this is kind of a little tangent but i've talked about loving wildlife to death we talked to brad hunt and he talked about the amount of people that are coming and visiting hardware and the roads and just overall general and there's a lot of people coming now since covid into the mountains whether it's side by sides hiking camping that's pushing putting more pressure on wildlife and again when they're more vigilant because of the amount of pressure they're receiving they're feeding less and less so right now, it's critical. Between the end of May and the first part of June, it's very critical for these mule deer to find secluded areas, as well as elk and moose, to find these secluded areas where they can go off, have their offspring, and start providing that nutrients. The other thing that's interesting is the role that nutrition plays in to how well the fawn or the neonate is going to do. So if you have a large female who's super fat, like if I was a female doe, like I would have the best offspring ever. Because once they give birth and they're starting to lactate and they're not bringing in enough nutrients, then their body's going to have to pull from their own body and they're going to start losing fat. But if you have a really fat doe, she's going to able, be able to pull from her reserves to create milk that's protein-rich that the, that the fawn is going to need or the neonate. And if you have a skinny, and, and they see these issues more in uh, that first-time pregnancy, that primiparous pregnancy where it's a, a doe's first event in giving birth they're going to see more issues in that because oftentimes they're younger they're smaller and so the more the more offspring an individual has the older they get the more they learn the better they are off and so is their offspring and so the ones that the funds that are going to suffer first are usually from that doe that's having that first event so next time you're out in the wild and you see a doe and a fawn, cow and a calf, a moose calf, think about the challenges that the mother has to face all year long to make this event happen. Think about 
what type of situation is she finding ever herself in? Is it going to be a high quality nutritional area or is it going to be low quality? How much pressure is she receiving from predators? How much pressure is she receiving from us, the humans, and the areas that she's finding herself in? And then next time you see a whitetail, just realize they're as promiscuous as jackrabbits. All right, you guys. Have a great day. Stay wild.